I kind of wasn't ever super taught technique, like step by step in the lifts because I kind of came into it very quickly lifting big numbers already. So by the time I got to the international stage, I hadn't really been taught technique very much. Welcome to the Bar Bend Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by barbend.com. Today, I'm talking to American weightlifter Meredith Allwine, the current Pan American champion in the women's 71 kilogram category. I first met Meredith back in 2016, in the early days of Barbend, while doing color commentary for the RVA Open in Richmond, Virginia. Back then, Meredith was an up-and-coming collegiate lifter, and let's just say her progress since then has been nothing short of astounding. She's risen through the ranks from the local, collegiate, and national levels to now being a contending force at any international competition where she's representing the U.S. She joins the podcast to talk about training, her progress in the sport, and coach-athlete dynamics in weightlifting. Also, I want to take a second to say we're incredibly thankful that you listened to this podcast. So if you haven't already, be sure to leave a rating and review of the Barbed Podcast in your app of choice. Now let's get to it. Meredith, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I have to say that the first time I ever came across your name was at the RVA Open back in 2016. And since then, you've made quite a lot of progress in the sport of weightlifting. Not that you were too shabby back then. Uh, so congrats on all of the, the hard work and success over the last five years. Um, if folks aren't aware, uh, what bodyweight class do you compete at? What are some of your most notable accomplishments or at least your favorite? And uh, what, kind of, uh, what kind of numbers have you put up recently on the competition platform? Well, hello. Thanks for having me. Um, I compete at 71 and 76. I did bounce around in the 63 class a couple of times back in the day, but we stopped doing that real quick. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just, just, just not a lot of, not a lot of fun to have to do like the six kilo cut before every competition. Yeah, no, never again. Um, so, uh, my favorite, I guess, accolades would be the Pan Am Championship, obviously the most recent. Um, that was kind of a lofty goal of mine, so it was crazy to get it at my first ever senior Pan Ams, um, especially on the opening clean and jerk. That like just like blew my mind. Uh, I also like the sixth place at Senior Worlds as a junior was really big for me, and then the second place at Junior Worlds was also pretty big. I, I still have trouble believing. I had to double check before this that it was your first Senior Pan Ams because you've been competing internationally for a number of years. So I was looking back, I was like, oh, I think she's probably got a couple Pan Ams medals, and and no, but hey, you're one for one on championships, right? <laughs> I, yeah, that's a, that's a good record to keep. We'll try to keep it up. <laughs> So what, what is it like winning a, an international, like a continental championship on your opening clean and jerk? You go out there, you make your opener. And then like, how do you and your coach decide what to take for like a second and third attempt? You've already, you got gold in the bag. Like what goes through your head? It was really, how do we get to the third attempt? Um, there was a variety of weird, different goals for this meet that we could get to depending on how things went. So obviously snatches didn't go great. So that sort of eliminated 
a few things. And um, I think the heat and the humidity was really getting to me. My legs felt a little more fatigued than they normally would. And I was getting a little lightheaded after my cleans, which I don't usually. Um, so we were just trying to get to a couple of different numbers. So the second attempt is just like that stepping stone to the third attempt, which didn't make it, but it would have been a couple of different things for me that were significant. So it would have been cool, but. It's al- it's always interesting to talk to weightlifters after they had a quote unquote you know not the day they wanted but they still came came away with gold. It's it's a bit of a consolation prize yeah. at that level. <laughs> Let's talk about traveling internationally because as things have started to open back up, we're not I'm not going to say we're post COVID because it's not like COVID has disappeared yet. But you started to compete internationally again. International competitions are happening. I'm always curious what your routine is when you go to a new country. Maybe there's a time zone difference. Maybe it's someplace that's just a lot different than you know where you live and train. What are some of the adaptations and strategies you use to get comfortable in a, in a completely new environment that might be you know halfway around the world? Sleep is obviously going to be the most important thing for all of us. So um, if we can get there early enough to acclimate to the sleep time, I'll take melatonin if I can or trying to stay up. I remember one time we, when we went to Rome last January, uh, I couldn't sleep on the flight over and then had to spend the entire day awake because it's an overnight red eye. So I was miserable. That was one of like the most uncomfortable times I've had was just trying to keep my eyes open and then to go to the training hall. It was really miserable. Um, but yeah, so making sure you can really get that first night of sleep acclimated. And then hopefully after that, it kind of helps. Obviously, the bigger the time change, the longer it takes. Um, but aside from that, I just, my weight's usually pretty good because we don't get a lot of opportunities to eat. You know, we get like the three meal times where I'm used to eating all day. Uh, so my weight kind of drops a little bit naturally. And then being in the new training hall is weird. So I like to get in pretty much as early as I can and get a few good sessions and just to like feel normal after all the travel and everything again. What are some of the, your favorite places that you've competed? Could be in the U.S., could be abroad. I really liked Germany. We were there twice for a training camp and then for the Cup of Blue Swords. And I really liked both times. I just liked the country a lot. Um, but I did really like, I really like training and competing in Tokyo because it's always very clean and professional. And then competing in Turkmenistan was amazing. I don't know if you ever saw the, um, the actual like setup of the competition, but it was just like huge and it felt so professional and real you know with the espn cameras and everything so it's uh it's always interesting to see because you sometimes you'll go to an international venue and the layout will just be so different than what you expect the training hall will be really far away or it'll be uncomfortably close to the stage so you can like hear the training weights while people are actually trying to compete on the stage <clears throat> for you in leveling up from being you know, a great local, the national, then international competitor. What are some of the main differences that you think people might not know between a big international meet as far as what it takes to really bring your A game and, you know, a local meet that a lot of listeners may have competed in or, or been to? I find local meets to be the hardest to compete in. Um, I tend to, yeah, I tend to do really badly and they're very stressful for me because of how chaotic they can be. Cause like at internationals, you know, it's like you are assigned your warm up platform. Nobody talks to you. Nobody approaches you. You know, everybody just does their own thing. 
Um, but at local meets, there's, you know, it's usually in like a smaller area. There's kind of people everywhere. There's people right in front of you where you're lifting when you're competing. The judges are eye level. Um, the lights are just kind of on. You can like see and hear everything. And that's all very, very distracting for me. So I find local meets to be really stressful. Interesting. I mean, it, it seems like, <clears throat> I don't know, my, I've never competed in weightlifting internationally. Surprise, surprise for anyone who's ever seen me attempt to lift. Not a, not a, not a huge surprise there. Um, <clears throat> but being able to calm the nerves, you're someone who I've watched you compete internationally a few times and locally a few times. You have a very like set routine. You're clearly very focused on your goal and you can kind of put, I don't know if it's like putting the blinders on or just focusing in and tuning everything out. You know, are you someone who's like listening to specific music when you're warming up and about to head out to the platform? Like what is your routine like to just get in that headspace? Yeah, I like to listen um, to usually the same song. It doesn't really matter what song, but I will pick a song and listen to it over and over again, just so it's not distracting, but it's enough to keep everything else from being distracting. Um, yeah, so it's like, it's like a natural blinders when I get up there. I kind of just don't hear and see things, um, usually when I get up there. But sometimes, like at Pan Ams, if I am nervous, I get distracted really easily, and... I kind of like forget. So my first snatch at Pan Am's, I, you know, I pulled it off the floor and I blanked and I just, it was basically a Clark. I just completely blanked on how to snatch. And I was like, what? I have no idea. And it feels like I can't even feel the lift anymore. So if I can like just listen to my music and not worry and keep myself having fun instead of nervous, uh, that tends to help me. And then just going up there and trying to like repeat the same thing to myself whatever technical cue or whatever encouragement I'm giving myself that tends to help. Talk a little bit about your, your coach. Uh, I know who your coach is right now, but, but I'll, I'll let you just kind of clarify for folks who, who might not know. And how has your all's relationship evolved since you two have been working together? Yes. Danny Camargo is my coach and we have been working together since um, the end of September and October. So it's been a few months in the beginning, I guess we were both a little cautious, but we always immediately got along. Um, he immediately changed my technique, which I was grateful for. Uh, yeah, we were, like our relationship is funny because it just seems like every single day we are more and more on the same page. Like ideologically with our technique, with programming, with just lifting in general, we seem to be always on the same page. And I'll say something and he goes, get out of my head. I was just thinking that. And so we're like that all the time. Um, it's a very, very natural relationship for us. It kind of almost like there was no onboarding process. Like there is, we are more comfortable now than we were before, obviously, since we know each other better, but it has always been like, we're pretty much on the same page. We get along and that's that. What are some of the tech? I'm curious because <clears throat> I've seen your, your lifts evolve over the last few, over few years, over the last five years, and they've clearly gone up, but I don't have the keenest eye for uh, technical elements like you know, an international coach like Danny Camargo would. What are some of the technical changes that you all have been making to your lifts? The big two are uh, mostly in snatches, the emphasis on the first pull. I kind of wasn't ever super taught technique like step by step in the lifts because I kind of came into it very quickly lifting big numbers already 
So by the time I got to the international stage, I hadn't really been taught technique very much. It was kind of a weird thing. Um, so yeah, we immediately looked at the first pull since that was something that hadn't been emphasized in my lifting and, you know, putting the bar a little forward instead of back and pushing through the whole foot instead of leaning back into my heels. That was a big issue for me and pushing with my legs a lot more. Um, and then in the jerk, we widened my grip. Obviously I've had a strong jerk for most of my career, but the wider grip made it a lot snappier, faster and easier. Yeah, I would say so. Cause you've been putting up some absolutely massive rack jerks on social media. What's your current rack jerk PR? 153. 153. Is that, uh, when you started weightlifting, or when you were weightlifting, say, five years ago and just kind of competitive locally and nationally, is that a weight you ever imagined hitting? No. I still remember being excited to jerk, like, 128, I think, was, like, a junior record at the time. And even then, I still remember, like, not even being able to deadlift that. So it's just kind of... I, but like before I hit the 153, I think I texted Danny before going into the session, like this kind of weight is stupid. It's just like, it doesn't even make sense that I can put that much weight overhead. Well, I mean, how long until you, obviously just jerking it is a lot easier. Not to say it's easy. I don't want to, I, I, it's weird saying that. I don't want to use the word easy there, but it's not clean and jerking it. I mean, is that a number that you now have in sight to put together for the two lifts? I know there are a lot of lifters out there, a lot of fantastic lifters that never come close to clean and jerking their jerk PR. That's totally okay. But you know, I got to ask the tough questions. What are your, what are your long-term goals as far as numbers in the sport? I would love to hit a, a double body weight clean and jerk at 71. So 142 is kind of my first stop. Like that's where I really want to go. And then 145 is very cool to me because that was my first total. Um, so in my head, uh, 150 is kind of like a ceiling point where I'm like, if I can get to 150, like that's just insane. And that would be a huge, if I could do more than 150, great. Like I don't want to stop myself there, but 150 is definitely like a dream number for me. What about the snatch? I think given, you know, the perfect conditions, I could get to 120. And I, I don't know how long that would take or when or what it would take, but I think given how shockingly repeatable 110 felt and how my training has been leading up to Pan Ams, I think 120 isn't, entirely unreasonable for like a lifetime massive PR. <laughs> Let's talk about broader goals in the sport. You've, you know, you're, you're still very young. Uh, you're not a junior anymore, but you're still, you still have a lot of weightlifting ahead of you. What are your goals in the sport in a broader sense and how long given ideal circumstances? And we all know that doesn't always happen by ideal circumstances. You know, how long would you like to be competing for? I definitely am pushing for 2024 and that's been the goal. Um, even like in the last quad 2020 wasn't always, wasn't really a goal. We kind of kept accidentally qualifying with all like making the first senior worlds. That was the qualifier and then continuing to make internationals. Um, so I continue to maintain my eligibility just to do so. Um, but 2024 is the real push. And then if I'm still, you know, ideal conditions, healthy, everything is still in the Olympics, then 2028, Probably, um, yeah, if I'm still loving it and still healthy enough to do it, because I'll be like 30. 
It's not that bad. You say 30, and <clears throat> we're only using the audio for the podcast, so folks can't see the face you made. I'm over 30. It's okay. I promise. Life still happens. I know. Well, Jason Bonnick just meddled at 39, so... It, it, you can you can do. I mean, Chad Vaughn was one small step away from winning a senior American championship at 39. It was like a month before his 40th birthday. So, I think. Look, there's a lot of weightlifting ahead of you. Um, so it's 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 okay. Into the next quad though, because 71 is not the body weight. You have to bounce between body weight classes because it's a little confusing. There are a lot of, there are more body weight classes in weightlifting now than there are Olympic body weight classes because of the reduction in, in quota. So are you planning on kind of making a permanent shift up in body weight for the next quad or will you still be kind of bouncing back and forth? You think? I kind of have no idea. We haven't really even gotten to talking about that yet. And then I'm hearing, or we know that Paris has less weight classes. Um, so it's really just whatever comes out. Uh, I'm pretty confident I will never go lower than like, I mean, 66 would even be a, it'd be hard. So like, I don't think I'd go any lower than like 69, 68. Um, so whatever is around the 70 area. And then if I have to go up, then I guess I will, but we, yeah, we haven't even like talked about that yet. It's very tough as you progress in your weightlifting career or in any strength sport and you move up in weight classes, cutting back down is just, it's difficult because you have to lose weight and like losing weight is, is tough, right? The body's not designed to lose weight that easily, but you just get used to being in a bigger frame, having more muscle mass, getting comfortable in those positions. And it makes it not only difficult to lose weight from a physical perspective, but mentally you have to deal with the fact that you, you might lose some strength. It's kind of a mental toll. Yeah, it's super weird. And anytime um, I find eating to be kind of a pain. Uh, so if I ever like come back from a competition and then just like don't eat for a week or whatever, and I get kind of lean and skinny and I feel like I look sick. So going to a lower body weight might freak me out a little bit, but. That's like what my mom says every time she sees me. She's like, "Are you eating?" I don't feel like you're. I don't feel like you're eating enough. She's very Midwestern, so like, there's maybe <laughs> maybe there's something maybe there's something there. So, um, but I only know that feeling in, in that in that realm, not as like an elite strength athlete. Let's talk about the sport in a broader sense. Is there anyone that you look up to in the sport? It could be a coach, official, another athlete. You know, anyone that you've just for a long time been like, "Wow, that's someone who's a really really good ambassador and representative of the weightlifting community." I really respect and look up to kind of what I said it to Cheryl and Chad in a different podcast, but like the OGs. So like Danny, Cheryl, Chad, and Vernon, my old coach, like sort of that generation of weightlifters that came before we did that really like made a name for the U S in weightlifting back in the day, going to the Olympics, getting those top rankings and medals and whatnot. Um, yeah, they're kind of like, who I feel is a really, really good ambassador for USA weightlifting and who I've looked up to and have felt like they've even mentored me in my career over the years. And so, yeah. It's interesting because a lot of those names you mentioned, Vernon, you mentioned uh, Cheryl, Chad, Chad's Olympic days were a little bit, a little bit later on, but a lot of these folks were just becoming elite weightlifters in the 1990s. Danny, that's kind of when he had, when he was competing internationally, I think. Danny, if you're listening to this and I'm getting your age completely wrong, please don't, please don't get that mad at me. It's a lot of numbers to keep straight. So yeah, that, that crop of lifters in the 90s and early 2000s kind of became the next wave of coaches in many ways. 
Is there anyone internationally that you've either competed against or you've seen compete and you're like, wow, that's a lifter who, who I really, like, I really respect their game and I really respect their skills. Really? Um, almost all of the elite women, like in my weight class that I've competed against, they have always been so nice and supportive in the back. Everybody is so congratulatory, no matter like who wins or whatever, you know, it's like, we're all trying our best. So it's just fun and an honor to get to compete with them because everybody is just so kind and we all love the sport and nobody's really trying to tear each other down or anything. Who's your favorite person to compete against? Like if you could have a competition, it's just you and them head to head, lift for lift. Like who would it be? Oh, that's interesting. I really love Nezzy Dahomey's. I mean, she would destroy me because she's amazing. Um, and she is like a full weight class ahead of me now, but yeah, I love her. If I could get up to her numbers where we could go like tit for tat like that, that would be awesome. Where is she from, for those who might not know? Ecuador. There are a lot of just amazing, amazing women in South American weightlifting. Like, it's just, it is a, it's a deep in this hemisphere. And I would argue, some would argue, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, maybe deeper than the men's pool in this hemisphere. Okay. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Okay, I'm not completely. I'm not completely far off there. Um, is there anyone in weightlifting that you haven't met or gotten to work with, whether it be on a coaching level or something? Could be domestically, could be internationally. That you know, at some point in your career, you'd you'd really love to work with, whether it be as an athlete, whether it be you know, if I'm lucky enough to loop you in on color commentary at an event when you have some downtime or something like that. Just someone you'd love to to kind of meet and get to work with. I'm kind of obsessed with Tian Tao. Um, oh, my cousin. Yeah. <laughs> He's not, we're not actually cousins. I just want to clarify. David Tao, Tia Tao, two different branches of the Tao family. <laughs> yeah. I'm just really, really obsessed with his movement. Um, and whenever his videos show up, I like just watch them over and over and over again. Uh, and I really like Ali Hashemi from Iran, but he hasn't been competing. I think he got injured, but I like his tenacity. You know, he always just throws himself under the bar no matter what weight it is or what it looks like. And those two are kind of like my favorite international lifters. All right. That's going to be a, a dream international commentary team. Although there might be a bit of a language barrier, Tien and Meredith. We'll see if I can, we'll see if I can set that up, but here's the problem. Here's the problem. I have to pair him with another squat jerker. So you'd have to convert over to the squat jerk. I did like 50 kilos the other day. <laughs> <laughs> if you, have you ever like, have you ever gone heavy in the squat jerk? Is that something you've ever try uh, i think i've pushed up to like maybe like 95 100 kilos it's been a long time but you know i did those 50 kilo squat tricks the other day and my teammates said they looked great and that i should max it out and danny said i'll get a chance before nationals so we'll see <laughs> is okay squat jerks are just the mo I don't have the mobility to squat. I never had the mobility to squat jerk. I was a split jerker through and through i didn't even have a deep split like come on that wasn't even that mobile it is it is terrifying to watch someone attempt it, but there is just nothing more breathtaking than if someone you see someone jerk, you don't know they're a squat jerker, and they completely shock you with a squat jerk. It just takes your breath away. Yeah, for sure. Uh, anyone else that you just like love seeing their movement, you love seeing them lift, could be on the men's side, the women's side. Tian Tao is like a great answer. No one is going to disagree with that. <laughs> um. I don't really know. I'm so picky and I also don't like pay a ton of attention to the internationals. I guess I do, but, um, 
you know, everybody loves Kuo. I love her too. I love watching her. Uh, I don't know. You know, it's like, I like American lifters. I like Haley Reichert's movement. Um, like, I love watching her lift. I love watching Jordan Delacruz. I just like people that are, like, smooth and fast. And then on the other side, I like people that are tenacious and aggressive. <laughs> so it's kind of a weird spectrum of what I like to look at. You like the extremes. You don't like anyone who's just kind of right down the middle. They have to yeah. be... And I feel like I'm pretty right down the middle. It's like I watch my own lifts and I'm like, I wish that was not like that. <laughs> uh, if you haven't seen folks, I, I don't know, because if you haven't seen, if for folks who haven't seen you do heavy jerks off the rack, with your new jerk technique, wider grip, and just a very quick dip, it's, it's pretty tenacious. It's pretty entertaining. That's true. Somebody did ask me once, like, how are you not scared to get under that weight? I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. You just got to just dive under it and see what happens. So I guess, yeah, tenacious and aggressive definitely characterizes my style a little more. When you're jerking over double body weight, you don't have time to be scared. Like you really don't. Right. Yeah. All right. What is the best place for people to follow along or where is the best place for people to follow along with your training, upcoming competitions, especially as we head into, I say the next Olympic quad, we're kind of already in the next Olympic quad because the next Olympics is less than four years away. But, you know, as we progress toward Paris, where is the best place for people to follow along with you? Uh, Instagram for sure. What's your, uh, what's your Instagram handle? My Instagram handle is just my name. So it's just at Meredith Allwine. Easy enough, easy enough. And where do you where are you based out of? I am based out of Virginia Beach, Virginia. Excellent, Meredith. Thanks you so much for joining us. Really appreciate getting to catch up and uh, wishing you the the best in training. Oh, I, I should ask where when are you planning on competing next internationally? Internationally, so I know that there is supposed to be a twenty twenty one Pan Ams, and I have heard there's supposed to be a Worlds as well, both in the fall. And I know there's a lot of rumors about one's canceling or they're both going or whatever, but in that one of those. You could be the first person to ever win Pan Ams twice in the same year. That would be pretty awesome. That's that's gotta that's gotta be that's gotta be a goal in the back of your mind. Meredith, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. <laughs>